Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. Where can you find a rules lawyer? Where? By the book. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd, actual-play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. We'll be weighing anchor in Mispera later on this afternoon, just to get some supplies. They're acolytes, part of Zephyr Isle's state service. And, uh, they don't like me much. Interesting. Can I ask why? I wasn't too good at my job back when my name was Acolyte. <sighs> Captain, did you bring us anything? Now, lass, you know you're better supplied here than most of the other isles. In fact, we came here to get some things from you. Oh, well, that's going to be hard. What with the sirens and everything? The what? You've been searching so long for somewhere you belong, and you haven't found it yet. Why don't you stay with us? There's nobody here who can hurt you. You could be free. Sorry to disappoint, but I've been offered gilded cages before. And this siren that has taken the shape of defiance looks over at you, Fee, and then turns back to the captain and says, She's gonna leave you too. Wouldn't it be smarter to just cut your losses at this point? Stay with people who actually love you. Okay, I'm gonna cast me a guiding bolt. He reaches back and their hands are almost touching when you just absolutely fry this thing with a guiding bolt. The thing about the place where you belong. The place where you really belong. It's got a way of finding you. Sophie's gonna kiss him on the mouth. He fully swaggers off to the captain's quarters. You can see it in the way he is walking as he turns around and walks away from you and opens the door to the captain's quarters and shuts it behind him. Fee stays there for a second, just letting the rain fall on her. Says, shit. And then goes off to her bunk. It's been a couple of weeks since you left Mesbero and the whole thing with the sirens. You are up on deck. The crew have said something about stopping, because it's the last clear day for the rest of the storm season. You're not really sure how they know that, just sailor knowledge, you would guess. Leo's been too busy throwing up to really question anything. I'm assuming the weather's been pretty shitty the whole time. Oh yes, driving rain, thunder, lightning. Fee has spent a lot of time out on deck. But the water has been choppy enough that you've been having a bad time. <laughs> Love that for me. But things are nice today. You hear people yelling to each other up in the rigging as the ship groans and turns in the water and sets off on a course for a little landmass jutting out of the sea that you can see off in the distance. I think Leo's on deck practicing with his thieves tools again, but he has sourced his own padlocks this time so the captain can't glue them shut. 
I also don't think he's super happy about the idea of stopping. I think if he has the chance to mention to the captain that they are in kind of a hurry and making use of the good wind seems like a more prudent use of time. He's standing at the wheel, kind of relaxing, waves a hand at you. He says, it's good for morale to have a stop. It's the last day of sunlight that most of the crew is going to get for the next few months. And I understand that morale is important. I get that. But we have a couple pretty pressing matters on our hands that are a little time sensitive, don't you think? The captain raises his eyebrows at you and he says, those sound like the words of someone who needs a day at the beach. Leo puts a finger up to keep arguing, but kind of stills. The, there's a beach. I. Well, in that case, my opinion about the urgency of our situation stands, but I mean, I'm not the captain of this vessel. I'm, I'm gonna go see if I can find some swim trunks. <laughs> the captain laughs. He says, Aye, that's the spirit. Don't worry, lad. There'll be plenty to do in Paraport. The legislators are a lot of things. Expedient is not one of them. Bureaucracy is the name of the game. I will take paperwork over sirens any day. A sun hat? Do you know where I could find a sun hat? He gives you just this very sharp grin and he says, Ask you. She burns like cheap hardtack in this one and she's self-conscious about her freckles. Okay, I'm gonna go find you. You is standing at the side of the boat, looking over the water, just kind of scoping out conditions. You've noticed she is very attentive to her job, despite or maybe because of her age. She is very careful to not let anybody catch her slipping, as it were. Leo pays no mind to how busy she is, just kind of walks up behind her. Hey, you, do you have a sun hat I could borrow? It's just, you know, apparently there's a beach day involved, and, I mean, if you look at me, like, this is skin cancer waiting to happen, so. You slowly turn to look at you. She raises her eyebrows in a mannerism that seems, like, directly copied from the captain. (laughs) And she, one-handed, just kind of gestures at her whole thing and says, Do I look like the kind of person who owns a sun hat? Uh, no. You look like the type of person that owns more than five different kinds of sword polish. But I just figured I'd ask. If I'm intruding, I'll leave you alone. Can't help but notice that you don't seem too excited for beach day, though. She scowls in the moody teenager way that she does. I'm excited to be a day farther from Pearl Parch. What, do you have something against Pearlport? Is this like an edgy teen anti-establishment thing, or? There's a brief pause. And then you narrows her eyes at you and says, edgy, am I? I mean, it's not an insult. I was super fuck the man when I was 85. I'm kind of super fuck the man now, if you consider my whole thing. But hey, you don't have to justify why you're the ship's resident ray of sunshine. I just came to ask about a sun hat. You gives you just a withering look. (laughs) Oi, suppose it's easy to be edgy when you're going back to the place that ruined your life and where everyone you know and loathe makes their residence. Yeah, I kind of feel that way about going home myself. 
she bristles like a tiger and just grits out, Pearlport is not my home. And she spins on her heel and she storms off. Good talk. From behind you, you hear Doc's voice say, Parasol for your agonies. Leo turns around to look at Doc, raises an eyebrow, and goes, You know, I don't really know how well a parasol is going to fit in with my whole aesthetic, but I'll take what I can get. And then he looks at where you has stormed off across the ship, kind of jerks a thumb back over his shoulder and goes, What's up with her? Doc is applying some kind of lotion to her face, like under her eyes and on her nose, not quite looking at you as she holds a parasol out with her other hand. And she says, Ah, can be a bit troubling for some members of the crew, getting too close to as big of a population center as Paraport is. She nods after where you stormed off. She left the service more recently than most, so I expect it's a bit raw. Service? Like, like state service? You was an acolyte? Is that the right thing to call it? I've, I've only ever met. Doc snorts. I, young as she was, she would have been in training, but acolyte is still the correct title. Don't say that to her, though. She makes kind of a broad gesture at the rest of the ship. She says, most people on this tub were. It's a bit easier to leave it all behind for a life of crime and violence, if you don't have much waiting for you. So what, the progression here is that if somebody decides they don't like being an acolyte, they can just go be a pirate? Doc frowns at you, finishes applying the lotion to her nose, and goes, It's a bit more complicated than that. Most of the crew didn't leave as acolytes. I certainly didn't. So you- Oh, Doc. Doctor. Okay. I and I didn't work my ass off for my medical license to take sass from the likes of you. And she kind of like sniffs. She says, as far as I know, the only two that left as acolytes are you and Glasses. And you's situation is a bit more complicated than most. Okay, well that's making me want to betray my innate sense of tactfulness and ask for clarification there, because now I'm afraid that I was probably a real asshole to her just now. Doc looks extremely awkward for a second, and then she says, Well, conventionally, state service keeps ranks up through taking in and raising orphans and foundlings that don't have anywhere else to go. She presses a hand to her chest and she says, mostly foundlings. Twas the case with myself and Boots as far as I know, but she kind of grins. She says, if the bastard was as big as a baby as he is now, I can't blame the poor sucker that had to push him out. And then she looks like she's thinking for a second. She goes, as far as I know, for the wrist. Pelican's obviously never worked for the service, you can tell looking at him. But glasses. I believe his parents got snatched up in the dragon's maw. And... Ascot lost his mother to a favor as a little one. And she kind of makes a vague gesture. She says, but technically he didn't leave. We just took him as a hostage and he stayed around like a stray puppy. This is the most interesting and most horrible boat in the world. (laughs) Aye, related to the hostage taking, technically Ascot owns it. Owns the boat? On behalf of the state, anyway. He was sent to repossess it one day, and then the captain repossessed him. And there is a, like, loud clatter of boxes as the cat runs across the deck with glasses chasing him. And Doc very nonchalantly says, 
Incidentally, it's the same day we got that troublemaking bastard. And the cat's name is Notice of Delinquent Repayment. Okay, it's all coming together. So, what happened with you? Doc grimaces, and she says, There's, historically, been a fair bit of scaremongering about depletion in the ranks of state service, so a few people in the area around Paraport have taken it upon themselves to artificially bolster the ranks, we'll say. And how would one go about doing that? Well, you see, and she, like, rigs a hand back through her hair, uh, adjusts her eye patch. Because state service takes in foundlings, the text of the law states that children surrendered by their parents are inducted into state service. So, some people have taken it upon themselves to uh, intentionally have children that they then give up to be acolytes. And that's what you's parents did? Again, another vague gesture. She looks a little uncomfortable. Yes, and no. They did do that, but uh, you was a bit of a special case. Her parents had another daughter, would have been much older, who uh, didn't get all the way through acolyte training. So, Leo, roll me a history check. Dirty 20. You remember the fight with the sirens? And how, before the siren that you were fighting took you out of commission for a little bit, you heard you in a battle with her own siren, and what the siren said to her was, all your life people have been giving you names and taking them away. Leo squints and frowns. So you're telling me that, what, when this first kid didn't make it all the way through, that you's parents just... I Personally, I think the whole endeavor is a bit self-important. Uh, service is supposed to be as much about sheltering the children it takes in as helping everyone else, but... God, that's awful. She snorts to herself. She goes, you won't get an argument from me on that one. Oh, boy, howdy. I was definitely a huge asshole then. I should probably go apologize. Doc raises one eyebrow and says, Are you telling me that your plan is to go find that girl when she just stormed away from you and apologize for being insensitive about her personal business that you now know about when she didn't tell you? Uh, uh, yeah, this is maybe one of those situations where I should probably just let myself be the asshole, huh? I. She reaches out and claps you on the shoulder and says, it makes you feel better. Teenagers have the memories of goldfish. And then she walks off. Leo, for personal reasons, frowns and goes, I'm not sure how true that is, but then turns around and walks off in the opposite direction. Sophie, the last time we checked in with you, you had had some pretty interesting developments in your personal life. I regret to inform you that those developments have somewhat stagnated in the past couple weeks. The captain's not pushing you away or shutting you out, but 
you do notice that he seems to be manufacturing any time he spends around you into situations where you can't have a repeat of that night in the storm on the deck. He doesn't bring it up in conversation, and you don't really find yourself having the opportunity to be alone with him for long enough for you to bring it up. But other than that, the dynamic between the two of you doesn't really change. It's more of the same brazen, shameless flirting and good-natured interactions that you've always sort of had with him. Just, you can tell he's making a calculated effort to not be alone with you. You're below deck when you hear the rattling splash of the anchor being dropped into the water and feel the ship slowly drift to a stop. What do you do? I go up on deck. As you exit the door from the lower decks, you run headlong into your brother, who is wearing his knee breeches that he bought in Parlay Cove, no shirt, has a frilly pink parasol popped open over his shoulder, and is wearing a pair of sunglasses. He waves at you and goes, Hey, uh, I guess we're having a beach day. He stops and blinks for a couple seconds and then says, I'm trying to think of something mean to say to you right now, but it, the effect has rendered me speechless. Give yourself a minute. You've never been incapable of saying something mean in your life. Yes, but you've never looked this stupid, so, you know, wonder of wonders. Leo makes an offended little noise and flounces off down the gangplank that Boots and Pelican are lowering down onto the shore of this sandbar that the ship has pulled up to. From behind you, you hear a laugh and then a voice say, You really shouldn't be so mean to him when he's got no means of defending himself, lass. Fee tilts her head a little bit to the side, and she says, There's a lot of insults that can be leveled at my brother, but uh, the idea that he is ever unarmed in a battle of wits is not one of them. If you turn around, you see the captain leaning casually back against the railing of the stairs that go up to the helm, and he is midway through unbuttoning his frock coat and pulling his boots off. He just looks over at you, grins, winks, and says, You keep speaking highly of him, people are going to think you're developing a soft spot. Not so much developing a soft spot as wearing away some sharp edges. He gives you this acquiescing nod, like he's acknowledging your point, and then nods down at the bottom of the gangplank and says, Have you ever taken a vacation in your life, lass? You don't strike me as the type to take breaks. Unless you count court functions with my father, which is less a vacation and more a psychological test of endurance. Not since I was a small child, no. Is this a relatively one-on-one -on -one conversation? Yes, there are other people up on deck, but everybody's pretty busy getting off the ship right now. You see a lot of the crew walking off the ship with their stuff, getting ready to go enjoy their shore leave. There's probably a 20-30 foot radius around you and the captain where no one's really paying attention. Okay, so the thing about Fee this season is that she's decided to embrace being impulsive. So I think she's gonna cross her arms over her chest. And then say, so if you've been avoiding me because you're afraid that your wife will react poorly to the fact that we kissed, I feel it's only fair to warn you that she has the upper hand on you a bit having seen my tits. 
He stares blankly at you for a long moment and then works to pick his jaw back up off the floor, looks off to the side, curses quietly and mumbles, Cave his breath, that woman really does have all the luck in the world. And with that, he takes his hat off and does an exaggerated bow to you before hanging it on the banister of one of the staircases and says, Lass, I think we both know that I'm not selling myself short by saying that I'm not a smart man, but I've survived this long by Kiva's grace and my own impeccable survival instinct, and that's telling me that you're a little bit too angry with me for me to make the crack that I was fixing to make about even in the playing field, so enjoy your day! And he fully jumps off the side of the boat into the water. Fee leans over the side and to the ocean, (laughs) says... What part of that sentence didn't sound like an invitation to even the playing field? (laughs) You see the captain underwater just swimming along. He resurfaces several yards out from the ship, spits water into the air, points at his ear and goes, Eh? Never mind. We'll talk about it later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Everybody's getting off the boat. They all seem to be dressed in swimwear if they have it or dressed to go get in the water if they don't would you like to go change or do anything before you disembark he's gonna attempt to scrounge up something she can swim in i think she's gonna braid her hair so no small fish get caught in it okay you change you get ready you disembark this is an absolutely gorgeous beach, smooth white sand leading into a palm forest that stretches around this big kind of monolithic stone mountain that's coming up out of these crystal blue seas around you. Sun is out, it's warm, there's a nice breeze blowing. If you listen hard in the distance, you can hear a lute cover of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville playing. (laughs) By the time you hit shore, most of the crew are either in the water or setting up small beach camps on shore to hang out. You do pass Leo, who is dramatically flapping out a towel, laying it down, attempting to screw his parasol into the sand like a beach umbrella. He lays down, adjusts his sunglasses, and goes, No one look at me, no one talk to me, no one come near me unless you're holding a Mai Tai, and then immediately lays back to take a nap. The officers all look like they're having a good time. Doc has set up some kind of fantasy beach chair and has buried her feet in the sand and looks like she has a good book open in front of her. Boots and you are setting up some kind of game in the sand with a net and an inflated leather ball. Glasses is in the water, periodically dipping his head under for long periods of time and coming back up. The captain is also still swimming. Pelican is up in a palm tree, just picking coconuts. He seems pretty content. The bird is circling slow circles around the ship and the crew. You were not the last person off the ship, because you see Ascot following down the gangway not far behind you with fantasy coolers. They look to be artificed boxes that have various runes on them that seem to be keeping whatever's inside them cold, and he's just wheeling them up onto the beach. Dig some drinks and some sandwiches out of them. It seems to be a really nice, relaxing day for everybody here. So, Fee, you have a day off. For the first time in recent memory, what would you like to do with it? First of all, Fee's just gonna jump in the water and swim for a bit. 
and just not interact with people. The water is just absolutely ideal, turquoise blue, totally clear. You're floating around a bit, kind of kicking your feet, when you feel a hand wrap around your ankle and yank sharply. Okay. On instinct, at being grabbed, Fee's gonna lurch at whatever grabbed her and cast Thunderclap. Okay, so that's a DC 17 con save. And that's a 10. So you're gonna go ahead and roll me 2d6 thunder damage. Six. Fee, you reach down and create this sonic boom under the water, and it creates a massive bubble. Your hand collides with skin? You can't really process it. But then this massive bubble erupts from around your hand, rises up through the water, and pops, and the captain gets launched like five feet out of the water into the air with an- ah! and flies away. Fee floating there with her hands up says, Shit! And then uh, swims over. Are you okay? I mean, he's just taking six damage, but yeah, he's fine. He looks a little more ruffled than anything. Okay, having ascertained that, Fee's gonna just start splashing seawater at him and yell, What is wrong with you? He just shrugs, still looking a little ruffled, and goes, I was just having fun, Lass, but I mean... So you, you, you grab me by surprise in the water? That seemed like a good idea to you. You've seen me cast lightning bolts. He has like one big wet shock of hair flopped over in front of his eye and he pushes it back, grins, winks at you and goes, I thought it was well established that flirting with danger is one of my proclivities at this point. Fee continues splashing him. <laughs> Just says, you avoid me for weeks! <laughs> for weeks! <laughs> and then you decide that the best way to start a conversation is to grab me from the ocean! Your splashing has no real effect, but he does blink at you slowly and tilt his head to the side. I... I haven't been avoiding you. I've just... <sighs> you see him run a hand back through his wet hair again. I've just been parsing out some complicated interpersonal dynamics, and frankly, Ferora, if this was something that I didn't give a damn about, I wouldn't be bothering to take the time, so I beg your indulgence. He splashes him in the face one more time for good measure. Right, fine, I can breathe underwater, you know. He points at his gills. I know. And then there's a pause. And Fee starts to grin just a little mischievously. And I think she just jumps him and just tries to dunk him. Okay, we're gonna roll a strength contest. Is it a grapple check? Yeah, why not? Roll an athletics check. Six. And that will be a 12 for the captain. You go to try to dunk him, and as soon as he's underwater, he just slips out from under your hands. And there's a long moment where you're not really sure where the captain is, but then a hand closes around your wrist and you hear him pop up behind you out of the water. And over your shoulder, he leans into your ear and says, Now, did you try that because you thought you would win or because this was your desired outcome? He has a wrist. Yes. I'm gonna try 
and move my arm in such a way that he has to stand in front of me and I can like pin him? Um, I guess that's a second grapple check. Go ahead. 18. 15. Yeah, you get him by his arm and just yank him around in front of you. No, this was. The captain's eyes go a bit wide, and if you listen hard enough, you can hear his breath catch in his throat just a bit. <clears throat> right! You, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, lass. And he wades out of the water away from you. You too, Captain. He doesn't say anything, he just shakes his head as he walks away. So, Leo. You are relaxing on your towel, trying to get some sun, when a shadow falls over you. I scowl up at it. You is standing there, uh, looking down at you. She scuffs her foot and some sand gets kicked up onto your towel. Leo adjusts his sunglasses, raises an eyebrow, and says, Hey you, can I help you? I, I suppose you can. Oh, because of recent revelations, he's trying so hard not to be mean to her. Yeah, fine, and what is it that I can sacrifice my first day off in five years to do for you? She rolls her eyes. She says, Well, your bad attitude's kind of talking me out of it, but... We're going to play a game out in the water, and we need two on each team. What about me is making you think that I in any way do water? Nothing. That's why I'm asking you. My second choice is glasses. Well, I mean, unfortunately, Leo's not one to turn down a challenge. Yeah, I'm going to go with her. She leads you into the water, where Fee and the captain are standing very close together. Both completely soaked in seawater. As Fee catches sight of you, you watch her, like, startle a little bit and straighten her posture. In a way that almost looks guilty. You sticks her fingers in her mouth and whistles and says, Alright, rules are simple. And then she points at you and then at Fee and says, He's gonna get on your shoulders. And then she points at the captain and says, You're gonna get on mine. First one of you that pushes the other into the water wins. Aye? Leo just blinks at her. You pulled me off of my nap in the sun for this. She raises an eyebrow at you, challengingly. You get plenty of sun if you're any good. Alright. I clamper up on Fee's shoulders. The captain gets up on you's shoulders. She's a very sturdily built teenager. She lifts him no problem. And go ahead and roll me a flat strength check. Cool. My negative one is going to make this just great for me. Twelve. Since it's flat strength, the captain only has a plus one. No fucking <laughs> way. Are you goddamn kidding me? <laughs> I am sick to bastard death of this man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> so that was a nat 20. You reach out and like grab the captain's hands and try to shove him off of you's shoulders. You lose your balance just a tiny bit. 
and he takes advantage of it and shoves you so hard that you fall off of Fee's shoulders and he overbalances and has to catch himself with a hand on Fee's shoulder. From the water, you come up spluttering. You watch as that hand lingers there for a second and he just like squeezes and then sits back up on your shoulders. <laughs> Roll perception really quick. That would be a 26, my friend. Fee has gone a very interesting, very dark shade of purple. Leo looks back and forth between Fee and the captain and narrows his eyes quite a bit, but then nods back up at you and goes, Okay, whatever revenge agenda that you may have had, clearly it has been satisfied. Can I please go back to my nap on the beach now? You squints at you for a second and goes, Oh, when I take my revenge, you'll know. Best two out of three. So, Fee, you and your brother get your asses handed to you by the captain and you in this game of chicken that you have been roped into. And after Leo rage quits, you all head back for shore. He stomps off to where his towel is still laying on the beach and pops his parasol up so none of you can look at him and lays back down. Fee rolls her eyes and to the captain and you says, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. I love my brother deeply, but a graceful loser he is not. You just laughs victoriously to herself and goes off down the beach to start playing volleyball with a couple of the other crew members who are getting a game started. And the captain nods with his lips very tightly pressed together like he's trying not to laugh and goes, I'm trying so hard not to say anything about a little dog complex, but... Ah, Boots, thank you! Boots walks by behind you with a big tray of drinks in coconuts. They have little umbrellas in them. They're very cute. And the captain snatches two of them and hands one to you. Thank you. He's gonna nod to where you went off to play volleyball and says, At least she's in a better mood than she was. He nods and takes a sip of his drink. You's a fine sailor and a better friend, but... A humble winner, she isn't. <laughs> and you yourself seem to be in higher spirits than you have been. Yeah, sun in the sky, sand between my toes, drink in my hand, fair lass at my side. This is pirate heaven. How could it not be? Fair enough. Fee straightens out her hair, rolls her shoulders back a little bit. Personally, I think I've had enough of the water for the day. I was... She looks a little awkward for a second. She says, I was wondering if I could borrow your uh, copy of the book. I am in the mood to learn. You see his eyebrows furrow in a way that looks a little bit confused and his head cocks to the side a bit. Certainly, but uh, <laughs> the book's not exactly light beach reading, lass. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of good points in there to be found if you can get people to stop arguing about what they mean for two seconds, but it's a bit of what you'd call a dense read. Well, it's not as if I have to get through it in a day. I just... And she kind of, like, fidgets with her hands a little bit. I feel like it's important that I know more. You know? Mm, no, but I'll let you borrow it anyway. The captain just grins and kind of jerks his head back at the ship and goes, Come on! And starts walking off. Fee follows after him. You two make your way past the rest of the crew that are all having fun on the beach and head back for the ship. 
As you pass the last of them, you, who is taking a break from her volleyball game, cups both hands around her mouth and goes, Ooh! And Doc, who does not even look up from her book, just reaches up from her chair and gets you by the ear and twists and silences her immediately. The captain curses in Aquin under his breath and stomps up the gangplank, but does lead you across the empty deck and into the captain's quarters. It's much the same as the last time you were in here. You know, same tables laden down with maps and navigational charts, the big four-poster bed on one wall. He goes and digs around in his nightstand for a minute and comes up with that little pocket-sized leather-bound book that you saw him with in Mistboro. And he hands it to you with a flourish and goes, there you are, like I said, good luck. She's going to like go to stuff it in her shirt and then realize that her clothes are wet and just kind of like awkwardly hold it. The captain, you notice, is also digging through a little chest of drawers by his bed and he pulls out a dry shirt and changes it out and grabs another one and holds it out to you. You'll have to make some adjustments on it probably. I, I tear all the buttons out of my shirts, obviously. Right. Is there, like, a piece of furniture that Fee could, like, duck behind <laughs> to change her shirt? Bed has curtains. You could go around the other side of the bed and pull the curtains. Okay, I'd do that. Yeah, and I think because there's no buttons in it, she is just gonna, like, tie it around her stomach. Like Daisy goddamn Duke. I love her so much. And I got no buttons! <laughs> yeah, she's gonna do that. <laughs> and then I uh, come back out still adjusting it. Roll insight for me real quick. 16. The captain gives you the once-over real hard. I feel like shakes a little bit of salt water out of her hair, and then says, So, now that we're in private, would you like to discuss some of those complicated interpersonal dynamics? Uh, he goes from horny to horrified real quick. His eyes get kind of big, and he blinks a couple times. Uh, no, if I could be frank. Well, if that's the case, you need to stop looking at me like that. I'm getting mixed signals here. He hisses out a breath between gritted teeth and sort of just leans back against one of the posts of the bed. There's a moment where you watch that really raw, hurt look go across his face again. And he just kind of kicks at the foot of the bed and curses a bit and says... Look, I don't think it's a secret by now that things didn't end well with Sabine, alright? In fact, shit went sideways, and the speed with which shit went sideways made divorce proceedings a little bit impossible. And the woman ruined my bloody life, but in the eyes of the law, she's still my wife. So there are complicated interpersonal dynamics involved, but moreover, there are vows... Vows that I made. And none of those vows precluded me from fucking my way through every port from Ivagorsk to Ilneus after everything went to hell. But I did make a promise to love that woman with my whole heart. My whole heart. And I know the rest of the world looks at me and sees a brigand and a con man with no principles. So I've got nothing, if not my own word. But I look at you and... You're... He waves his hand in some incomprehensible way at you. I look at you and I know that I'm breaking a promise. So, yes, there are complicated interpersonal dynamics 
It's a complicated situation. Every bit of this is complicated, and it's not easy for me. Obviously, this isn't easy for me either. She, like, crosses her arms over her chest defensively. I think I've made it clear by now that I love Sabine. She's clever and funny and moral and beautiful. And obviously, I wish I could talk to her about this. Because I spent my entire life in a cage of other people's expectations, just looking for a scrap of acceptance. And she was the first person that offered a hand out of it. And I... She takes a very deep breath. Whatever feelings I'm developing for you, I don't feel that they betray her. And I don't feel that the fact that I love her diminishes what I feel for you. It's... It's not easy, but it is that simple for me. And... If you feel differently as to how that reflects on either of you, then that's fine. But as for me, the feelings that I am developing for you are inexorably influenced by the fact that you're the only person I know who has also fallen in love with Sabine and knows how I feel about that. And if we end whatever this is today and I go back to her, then the way that I feel about her will be influenced for the rest of my life by the fact that she and I both loved you. You don't have to accept it, but I... I won't be treated like a mistake. I've had quite enough of making myself into a simpler woman than I am because I think that my complexities and my contradictions make me harder to love. He blinks a couple times really heavily, almost like he's trying to blink away tears. There's never been a question of whether or not I loved Sabine, lass. The question of whether or not she loved me is the one in play here. And I understand it. I see where you're coming from. You're at the lowest point of your life, and she's there, and she's beautiful and clever and everything that she said. But she's not good. I won't blame you for not figuring that out in the time that you knew her, but I'll beg your pardon to take it into consideration. And to trust me when I say that I know. He just looks more upset, more absolutely gutted than you've ever seen him. But there is a moment where he sees you notice that and straightens his posture, clenches his jaw, swallows really hard and nods down to where you have the book tucked into your shirt. But, at any rate, you seem to have gotten what you came here for. Whatever that is. Enjoy your reading, lass. Yeah, she walks out. Leo, after... A few minutes of sulking under your parasol. Fee flounces over and just sits in the sand next to you. Out of the corner of your eye, you see her, like, 
hunch over a little leather-bound book and start flipping through it. If you look over, you notice that you've never seen the written form of Aquin. It's a little harder to understand, given your fluency in Elvish, than the spoken form is. You think you would have to, like, puzzle over it. It's not really something you can glance over and really figure out. She is visibly irritated <laughs> as she's doing this, but she does not say anything to you. Leo pivots the parasol around so that he can look at her and raises his sunglasses. Hey there, sourpuss. What's gotten into you? Nothing. Oh, and that's why you're pissed off. Okay, I get it. He lowers his sunglasses and picks up a coconut drink. Fee closes the book one-handed, puts it down on the sand very gingerly, and then scoops a big handful of sand up and drops it right on you. <laughs> <laughs> Leo throws a handful of sand back at her, right in her face. Okay, so you two have a sand fight. Fee goes, <clears throat> Look, it was a difficult conversation. I don't want to talk about it. And then she picks the book back up. Difficult conversation with the captain? Who else do I have difficult conversations with apart from you? Leo sits up, brushes as much sand as he can off of his chest. Where is he? Just wondering. I assume still in his quarters since he kicked me out. Excellent, thank you. Leo reaches into his bag and pulls out Kimrel's blade. Figo's very still for a second and then says, Why do you have the knife? I'm just gonna go talk to him. With your knife? I'm just gonna go talk to him. Leo put the knife away. I have a question about rogue things. I'm just gonna go talk to him. I leave. Before she can stop me, I run down the beach. Leo! I go back to the ship. By the time you get there, the captain is leaning against a railing, just taking swigs out of a flask. I'm going to calmly stroll up the gangplank and lean against the railing next to him. You know, I didn't take you for the broody type, but I guess we learn new things about each other every day. He fully, like, throws his head back to take a swig out of the flask. <laughs> Wipes his mouth with the back of his hand and says, You know, lad... I can think of people that I'd like to talk to less than I would you right now, but it's a short list. Oh, that's a shame, because I really want to talk to you. I am not trying to look like I am making an explicit threat, but I do take the knife out and start twirling it between my fingers doing a knife trick. You know, Captain, I really want to trust you. That'd be your first mistake, lad. Oh, I don't. Leo tosses the knife up and catches it again by the hilt. I can't, because of a mixture of, eh, my own better judgment, recent experiences, fucking childhood trauma, take your pick. The more pressing matter at hand here is that my sister wants to trust you. He takes another deep pull of the flask. And you see, my sister doesn't want to trust anyone. Ever. In fact, this is a bit of a first for her. So, you understand, if she were to get burned by that particular decision, that 
as her big brother, it would be my job to step in and rectify the situation. Yes? The captain gives a flat, humorless laugh. Just... (laughs) Are you giving me the shovel talk, lad? Leo flips the knife up again, catches it, and stabs it down into the railing. Turns over to the captain with his big, plastic, political smile. He reaches out, claps the captain on the shoulder a little too hard. Captain... We spend most of our time out in the middle of the ocean. I won't need a shovel. Roll intimidation. Nineteen. Okay, Captain's gonna roll insight. That's a fifteen. Captain looks a little bit intimidated. The captain puts the top back on his flask with a few sharp twists of his wrist and puts it back in his pocket, and then he turns to you and opens his mouth, and as he's doing that, you hear a horrible cat yowl. And then you hear glasses yell, Notice of delinquent repayment! No! And then you watch the cat run into the woods off the beach. You watch glasses take off after it. The captain stops, blinks a couple times, and then under his breath just grits out, Storms and bloody salt! And then he yells, Glasses are a daft. You don't know what's in those woods. Glasses does not listen. Glasses is taken off. Pelican drops out of a palm tree and starts going off after him. Boots is heading off from the beach. You see Fee get to her feet and start running. The captain rakes a hand back through his hair and says, And then Kiva's perfect idiot said to himself, Oh, we'll have a fun beach day. It'll be good for morale. And then he takes off down the gangplank. I run after him. Oh, no. Fee, you find your beach reading interrupted quite suddenly by glasses running off into the forest after the ship's cat, and all of the other officers quickly fall into step with you. Boots and Pelican are slightly ahead of the rest of you. You are running along next to you, who has her greatsword in a sheath attached to a leather strap that she is quickly pulling over her head as she runs. And behind you, you hear some crashing through the foliage as Leo and the captain both come running down off the ship. You go careening headlong through these woods. There is no sight of glasses or the cat. I think the person here best suited to roll a survival check because it's whiz-based is probably going to be Leo. So let me roll that for him real quick. And that will be a 22 to survival. So, Leo and the captain come crashing into the woods behind you. Leo shoves you, the captain, and you out of the way and lunges forward into the brush and grabs Boots by the back of the shirt and points off to the left, where there is, you notice, an indentation in the foliage where it looks like glasses has gone crashing through, and you guys just take off in that direction. The six of you go tearing through this thick palm forest. The captain's going to use one of his cunning actions to double dash. And from the brush ahead of you, you hear a cat yowling very angrily. After a couple seconds, you see the captain and glasses emerge from the brush. The captain has notice of delinquent repayment by the scruff of the neck and is holding him aloft. He points a finger in the cat's face and goes, Now you listen here, you mangy beast! And then quirks his head to the side, 
and looks off over his shoulder and goes, What? I'm gonna try to see what he's looking at. Okay, roll perception. 21. In front of you, the captain hands the cat back over to glasses, silently, still looking off over his shoulder, and narrows his eyes. You follow his gaze, and over the top of the trees, you see the mast of a ship with a flag waving from the top. Big blue flag with a white oyster with a pearl in it and two crossed swords underneath. It's fleet colors. You've seen it flying on the ship. Looking over at it, Fee says, Were we supposed to be rendezvousing with anyone? The captain frowns, shakes his head, and then goes marching off towards where the mast is shooting up over the trees. Obviously, I am also going. Yeah, everybody falls into step behind him, looking similarly confused. You sort of fall in next to Leo. Let me roll insight for him. Nat 20. (laughs) 28 with a modifier. His hand drifts down to his belt where he's got his knife that he took with him in a sheath, and he says, Something's wrong. Oh, great. Ominous statements as we march through the woods. This is a great beach day that we're having. Your party pushes on through the undergrowth in this palm forest and exits onto a high ridge overlooking another beach. And there is a large, multi-masted, multi-sailed sailing ship half sunk into the water with the bow sticking up into the air over the sand. You do not see anybody on the deck. The captain is standing closest to the ledge with a very gravely concerned look on his face. Ah, fuck me. That's the moray. Uh, the the moray? Aye, it's Miriam and Killian's ship. And Fee, you remember Miriam Adler and Killian Cassidy, the two members of the fleet that you met in Oskaya at the games. Shit. Fee starts down the ledge. You move closer to the ship. Again, there looks to be nobody on deck. It looks to be completely abandoned, but you don't see any kind of debris on the beach. It doesn't look like anybody disembarked. You could feasibly get up onto the ship from the beach because it has kind of been run into the sandbar. Would you like to do that? Yeah, not alone. I'm going to wait for everybody else to catch up. But yeah, I want to try to get into the ship. The captain and the other officers and Leo are not far behind you and all of you start clambering up over the railing onto the ship where it's been beached on the sandbar. Roll me investigation. Eight. You can tell that the ship obviously got beached and that it is damaged. You can't tell much beyond that. But you see, as people kind of clamber up behind you, Glasses and you start looking around much more carefully. So I'm going to roll for them. You beefed it. 
you looks panicked as she's just combing through boxes and things on the deck, but Glasses seems to be looking at things with a much more critical eye. You see his head snap over to the side as he's still got the cat wrapped in his arms, and he says, Captain, there's no signs of struggle. So where is everyone? The captain just hisses to himself. I don't know, lad. I think it's our job to find that out. And now that Glasses has mentioned it, you kind of start to see it. The deck looks completely swapped clean. There's a couple boxes laying around. It just looks like whoever was on this ship disappeared. Next to you, the captain shakes his head and goes, This isn't right. Miriam wouldn't have gone down without a fight. Boots, go check the hold. Boots nods. Aye, sir. And goes to wade under where part of the ship is underwater. You see him just absolutely fully rip a trapdoor up and dive down into the water with a splash. The captain nods toward the bow of the ship and says, Rest of us are going to go check the captain's quarters, figure out what happened here. Yeah, I go with him. Again, the deck of this ship, even though it's wrecked, looks absolutely pristine. It looks like nothing went wrong here. It's really odd, considering what kind of condition the ship itself is in. You close in on the door of a captain's quarters near the bow of the ship, and the captain reaches down to grab the knob, and it won't twist under his hand. Fucking hell. Back up. The captain whips around and glares at you a little bit and goes, Lass, I know what I'm doing! And behind you, Leo goes, I have my thieves' tools! And I have a shatter spell. Back. Up. The captain just kind of puts his hands up and takes a step back, and Leo behind you goes, aw. I cast shatter on the door. (laughs) It's a door. It can't save. It blows off the hinges, swings inward. I gesture towards where there is no longer a door there and say to the captain, after you. Okay, the captain heads in. Are you headed after him? Yes. You move into this captain's quarters. It is set up pretty similarly to how the captain's is back on the ship. A couple tables laden down with maps, charts, dining table, bed, chest of drawers. It looks like two people live in here. You see a couple different sets of clothes that are still on the floor next to the bed. It looks like whoever left this just walked away from it. And we're going to do a little bit of division of investigation duties here. So you see the captain nod at Pelican, who goes over to the table where all the maps are. Looks back toward the door, goes, you, guard duty. She nods in a very clipped manner, and she goes outside. And then he turns over to you and Leo, Fee, and says, and you two are going to help me comb through the rest of this. Glasses, distress signal, now! Glasses puts the cat down. The cat immediately jumps on the bed and curls up on the duvet, gets hair everywhere. And then you see Glasses go over into one far corner of the room on another desk where there is a large black metallic box with a mirror mounted on top. There are several arcane runes that have been etched into it. Glasses reaches down to his belt and pulls out a screwdriver that he's had there the whole time, apparently, and just starts chipping at this thing. So what's going to happen is Fee, Leo, and the captain are going to roll a general investigation check, and we're going to average it. 
Pelican's going to look at the charts and see what's going on there, and then Glasses is going to check the distress signal in that order. So, Fee, I'm going to need you to roll investigation. Leo and the captain are also going to roll, and we're going to average that. 14. Okay, Leo got a 21. Nice. The captain got (laughs) a natural 2, so with this modifier, the captain got 0. He's way too upset to figure out what the fuck is going on here. So that averages out to about a 12. So you guys are able to ascertain a couple of things. The captain is just frantic. It's mostly you and Leo that are going around kind of parsing this all out. Leo stops at the foot of the bed and stares down at the floor. Okay, so all of this furniture, the the bed, the desks, they all got moved around. You could see the scratch marks, so there was probably a scuffle. But why is there no blood? And Fee, you move back towards the doorway where you came in and look at the door that you blew off the hinges. You crouch down and you look at the doorknob. And as you fiddle with it a bit, you can tell that it was locked from the outside. So whatever happened in here happened, and then someone walked out and locked the door from the outside with a key. Uh, presumably someone stole Miriam's keys. Okay, and now I'm going to roll for Pelican, who has proficiency in investigation. Oh, he rolled a nat one. That's only a seven. He blinks down at the charts on the table and tilts his head to the side, a bit confused, and then the bird ruffles its wings and says, It appears that all of the recent navigational charts are missing, Captain. And then I'm going to roll a tinker check for glasses as he's over there messing with this artificed distress signal. There's a good lad, that's a 26. So, with that big fat zero to an investigation check, the captain is kind of just standing in the middle of the room dissociating as all of you are throwing this information at him, and Glasses is prying at the front of this black box with all the arcane runes on it, dives into it with the screwdriver, and pulls a wand out of his belt and starts poking it around in there as well. You see a couple flashes of bright light, almost like a welder's torch. And then the mirror that is mounted on top of this black box shudders, buzzes, and a picture ripples to life inside of it. It seems grainy, distorted, but in the mirror you can make out the terrified face of Miriam Adler. This plump stormfolk woman with curly dark hair back in a braid. She's holding a cutlass in one hand and leaning into the mirror, speaking urgently. But every couple words, it seems like static is coming across the mirror, and you're not really getting a full picture of what's being said. She's looking back over her shoulder frequently as she says, About 30 leagues southwest of Sleet Gulf. Take it on water and... Don't know how long we can hold them off. Urgent assistance needed. I repeat, urgent assistance needed. There's... And then the image solidifies one last time as you see Miriam look over her shoulder, gasp, raise the cutlass, and then the image goes dead. Behind all of you, a dripping wet boots walks into the doorway. 
shrugs and says, Well, the hold was completely cleared out, but it was also completely underwater. So unless the people who robbed this boat were all storm folk, we have to assume it happened before she went down. The captain looks absolutely shell-shocked, grief-stricken, and deeply, deeply worried. He snaps his head over to the side and goes, Glasses, why didn't we get that distress signal? Glasses is still twisting his screwdriver elbow deep in the box and says, I don't know, sir. It appears that the hailing frequency was scrambled, but we still should have... I don't know. What what could have scrambled the... I'm sorry, I'm not well-versed in mechanics, but what could have done that? Glasses just looks over at you, lost for words, and shrugs. He looks absolutely mortified that he can't tell you more. And then from the other side of the captain's quarters, Leo pipes up. I think something that we're all ignoring here is that a struggle clearly happened, so why doesn't it look like it did? Clearly someone wanted us to think that the boat had simply been abandoned. And that's clearly not the case, so the next logical question is, who is that someone? I think we can all recall in recent memory a certain person that was recently in the neighborhood that might have reason to do something like this. The captain just shakes his head, brings a finger up to pinch the bridge of his nose. It's not defiance, lad. (laughs) Who else would it be? I don't know. But it's not... She's got no reason to. She has every reason to. Defiance does her share of pillaging and looting from the Zephyr Isles, but she's not behind the people disappearing. She... He looks around at all of the other officers standing around you and fully flinches. A few years back, she helped us track down a boatload of people that had gone missing out of the Dragon's Maw. And given present company, I won't elaborate on the favors that she was receiving in exchange for that, but... The first and only thing you need to know about Defiance is that she never acts against her own interests, alright? So, this wasn't her. No, Defiance never does act against her own interests. And she described you to me as dead useful in the right situation. So I have to wonder what her own interests mean in this situation. We'll talk about it later, lass. He fully snaps at you, teeth bared, looking very, very angry. And then whips back around to Glasses and Pelican, points back and forth between the two of them. Where was this ship headed? We need to know that, and we need to know- A whole crew doesn't just disappear. There's no bodies, there's no blood- Figure something out! And, I mean, mechanically, Pelican rolled ass on his investigation check, and Glasses got all that he could get. So the two of them just kind of look at him, lost for words. He takes his hat off, runs a hand back through his hair, curses, and says, Right then, everybody, back to the beach, back on the ship, we're gonna go find these people. I'm not losing anyone else. Fee makes a disgusted noise and just storms out. You all make your way back to the beach where the ship is docked. Everybody gets 
pulled back on board very, very quickly, and you set off. Fee, the anchor's up. You're out in the water. What do you do? Fee's going to stay up on deck. She needs some air. Leo stays with you. He's just staring off into the dark ocean, reflecting the gathering storm clouds overhead. Fia clenches her fists around the railing, then lets go, takes a very deep breath, and says, I know what that woman is. I don't have proof, I don't know how to explain it, but I... I know. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet the exact description of what you think that woman is isn't something that can be uttered in polite company, because I'm thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, that too. She just shakes her head, sets her jaw, looks out over the ocean. (laughs) Dead useful. I know exactly the dynamic that you have to have with a person to describe them that way. I've been on the other side of it, and the fact that he won't listen to me is... She just puts a hand down on the railing firmly, shakes her head. Mm. (sighs) Look, if you're trying to make me play devil's advocate and defend the guy, I'm not going to, but... When you were in it, when you were really, really in it, if someone had tried to tell you what was going on, can you really say that you would have listened to them the first time? He just puts her head in her hands. Leo shakes his head and kind of adopts that thousand-yard stare out of the horizon again. And again, I say, you're not gonna catch me dead defending the captain, I think he's an idiot. But I also think that both of us have been the exact same kind of idiot before, with the exact same kind of situation, and that it might not be fair to hold him to standards that we didn't hold ourselves to when we were in it. I've already said my apologies for not trying harder to make you see what was going on. And we're both already living with the consequences of that. So, for the sake of whatever incredibly stupid reason that you've decided that you care about this nasty little man, don't you think he deserves better than what you got when you were in the same place as he is now? She kind of scrubs her hands on her face, shakes her head, looks out over the horizon. I hate it when you're reasonable. I've been told that it doesn't happen often. Soak up the wisdom while you can get it. Yes, but you're always so insufferably smug about it. Go talk to your little boyfriend, Fee. I'll be downstairs in the bunk to listen to you rant and rave and maybe give you a hug if you feel like it later. I love you. You're a bastard. This slow, easy, comfortable smile that you've never really seen on him before stretches across his face. 
Love you too. And he claps you on the back and goes down the stairs to go below deck. I'm heading off to the captain's quarters. Okay, are you knocking or are you just going to walk in? I'm just walking in. You just barge into the captain's quarters. He is sitting at the big secretary desk in one corner of his room with an open leather bound book, just kind of scratching at something with a piece of charcoal in his hand. If you walk closer, you can see that he's doing this really beautiful, really well executed sketch of the moray as it was in its heyday, just this majestic multi-masted sailing ship but he snaps his head up as soon as you walk in and goes to shut the book roll perception 15 a lot of the pages of this book flutter by as he goes to snap it shut and you see sketches of the ship sketches of the crew you see this really lovingly rendered drawing of you with her greatsword in her hand, just kind of leaning on the pommel. A sketch of Boots and Pelican arm in arm, leaning over the railing of the ship, Doc with her doctor's kit, Ascot with his clipboard. And as the pages flick by, you also see a really gorgeous sketch of yourself. With your cape, it looks like colored in with watercolors draped around your shoulders. But as soon as you see that, he fully leans on top of the sketchbook as he slams it shut. Lass, good to see you. She pauses for a second and shakes her head and says, You said we'd talk later. It's later. Let's talk. He looks severely put out, but then nods, stands up, and walks over to the kind of little dining table that he has in the middle of the captain's quarters pulls out a bottle of Australian wine and pops it open and just sits it in the middle of you two. Right, guess it is later. We'll talk. He sits down. I'm gonna sit down across from him. There are no glasses on the table. He just picks up the bottle of wine and takes a slug out of it and then goes to pass it over to you. So, ah, uh, the whole thing with Defiance... Much like Leo, he also has a bit of a thousand-yard stare right now. Well, for all of that to make sense, it strikes me that I should probably go back to what happened with Sabine. She washed up on the shore of some sandbar decades ago. Said she had fled the country and was looking for shelter, and... Well, the thing about the Zephyr Isles is that we've got a bit of a limited path to citizenship or asylum. It's either joining state service, doing some manner of great merit, or getting married to a citizen. And well, I mean, you've met Sabine. I, <laughs> I had it bad from the start, but... So that happened, and several years after that, when the aforementioned rescue of the ship of kidnapped people happened, Defiance brought up to me that there was some fucking... Shadowy secret society in Australia. Can't for the life of me remember the name of it. But that Sabine was a part of it, and that they had something to do with all the people that were going missing. And of course, it's fucking defiance, I didn't believe her. But then, uh... 
Two days later, I caught Sabine trying to sneak off in a longboat at three o'clock in the morning with a load full of maps, navigational charts, and half the treasure in the hold. So you could follow that story to its logical conclusion. Pirate Code says that punishment for stealing from one's own crew is death or marooning. And I... I couldn't, I couldn't. He puts one hand up to his forehead. So onto the island she went. And she lived. And she held a grudge, as she's wont to do, I'm sure you know. And today I find a ship full of some of my best sailors completely disappeared off the face of the earth. What other conclusion am I supposed to come to here, Fee? Fee picks up a bottle of wine drinks out of it for a good few seconds. The society she mentioned is called the Beacon. Sabine's a part of it. So's Defiance. And so am I. They're not behind the disappearances, for a multitude of reasons, one of which is that the people that are involved in it can't stop trying to rip each other's throats out long enough to coordinate a sharing of information much less the scale of atrocity that's been going on in the Dragon's Maw for as long as it has. I'm asking you to trust that I know. She crosses her arms over her chest. She says, I'm sure some people in it are involved, but that's because they are higher up in the Asturian government and closer to the rotten core of the church that my family helped to build, not because of the beacon. And I know that Sabine isn't a part of it, because when I met her, she was trying to figure out the disappearances, and almost got disappeared herself. She kind of leans forward across the table, looks the captain in the eyes. I am going to tell you the bare facts of the situation. Sabine was clocked over the head, taken to a cave half underwater, and then caught in the middle of a firefight. I am asking you to think about the woman that you married and whether or not you trust her principles to be what she said they were. I want you to look me in the eyes and tell me that Sabine trusts anyone to be competent enough to pull off part of that plan and not get her killed. I am not asking you to trust that Sabine is good. I'm asking you to trust that Sabine has the strongest self-preservation instinct of anyone I've ever met. He's quiet for a very long stretch of time, grabs the wine bottle back from you and takes another big slug out of it. And just as he puts it down on the table and opens his mouth to say something, the door of the captain's quarters bursts open. Boots and Pelican come storming in. Pelican looks more exhausted than you've ever seen him. He looks like he has just run a marathon. The bird is not with him, and Boots is actually kind of holding him up, trying to keep him upright as he staggers into the captain's quarters and books it for the table with all the maps and charts on it. The captain stands up from the table and runs over to where they are, gets his hand on Pelican's free shoulder that Boots isn't holding, And Pelican just jams one finger down into the chart, pointing at a spot in the open sea on the map. 
you can kind of put together that he's been in the bird for a while and has figured out where the missing people from the moray are. The captain looks down at the map, nods, says, Oi, if we have the wind, we can make that. You go rest. Boots, make sure he rests. Boots nods and says, I do my best. The captain leans forward into a little box of supplies on the desk and jams a pin down into the map where Pelican was pointing. Are you going over there? Yep. You don't really know how to read nautical charts, so you can't really figure out what kind of distance you're looking at here. But judging by the land masses surrounding this pin on the map, it's not that far off. The captain finishes screwing this pin into place on the map, looks over at you, nods, and says, Seems like a lot of us here have unanswered questions. But if we're lucky, we may be able to parse a few of them out. Fee looks at the map, looks at him, and slowly raises a hand, twists it in a motion that he would recognize as her getting ready to cast a spell. We don't need luck. We'll have the wind. And that's where we're gonna end this week. This was supposed to be a fun beach episode, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) We need a light episode, we said. Let's do a beach episode, we said. Maybe next time. Not fucking likely on Compelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. You can also find us on TikTok at Compelled Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff, including an official website, an official Spotify profile. You can find all of that linked on our various social media pages. Additionally, we host a live Q&A show on our YouTube every week on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. We would love to have you guys come hang out, ask some questions, just chill while we talk about the latest episode. We'd love to see you there. You can find us by searching Compelled Duel on YouTube. If you're enjoying what you're hearing so far on the podcast, we ask that you consider pledging to our Patreon. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all sorts of cool perks like early access to episodes, priority question submission for Q&As, access to exclusive Spotify playlists and bonus episodes, or even letters from your favorite character every month. If you'd like to support the podcast in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, we ask that if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, that you consider leaving us a rating and a review. That helps get the show promoted to a wider audience and helps us grow our listener base. And as always, word of mouth advertising is the best possible tool that we have to get ourselves out there. If you like Compelled Duel, we ask that you just tell three friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell three friends as well. Episode 10 sure is coming out on Friday the 13th of August, 2021. (laughs) It, it, It sure is coming out on Friday the 13th, and that's a hell of a coincidence. If you're a patron, though, you're going to get access to it on Thursday, August 12th. 
boy howdy we'll see you guys next week